Just over 100 years ago, on the 7th of September 1921, the British Cabinet met for the first time outside London. It met, where did it meet? Inverness, met in Inverness. And the reason the British Cabinet met in Inverness was because the Prime Minister, David Lord George, was on holiday in Gerloch. It's only in Gerloch. And uh, King George V was shooting at Moy. Did you know that, Alex? That's where Alex's farm is, just near Moy. So, um, yeah, King George V was in a shoot. I don't know whether he was shooting peasants or pheasants, but he was, uh, he was shooting at Moy. Um, Winston Churchill was also present, Secretary of State for the Colonies. But a less well-known figure or member of the British government at that time was a man called Herbert Fisher. Herbert Fisher was a Liberal MP, as Winston Churchill was in those days, but he was also President of the Board of Education, H.A.L. Fisher. Uh, he also taught history at Oxford University, and he published various books on history, including a three-volume three volume History of Europe. So he knew quite a lot about history. But despite his vast knowledge, he said this, I am unable to find any meaning in history. I am unable to find any meaning in history. Well, perhaps he should have read the book of Daniel. For while Daniel does not give us all the answers that we may want about history and the meaning of history, it does show us something of the meaning of history. And it shows us something of the meaning of history in two ways. Firstly, as we've seen before, but I make no apologies for repeating it, God, Daniel's God and our God, is a God who is sovereign over all of history. He is sovereign over all of history. He is a God who is in control despite appearances and whatever our present circumstances. In chapter 11, that truth comes out in that little phrase. You see it three times in verse 27, verse 29, and verse 35, the appointed time. End of verse 27, an end will still come at the appointed time. Verse 29, at the appointed time. Verse 35, the time of the end will still come at the appointed time. Well, who is making the appointments? It is God who is writing the appointments in the diary of history. And there is nothing that happens in this world, big or small, good or evil, that happens outside God's sovereign plan, outside God's sovereign timetable, his sovereign appointment book. It is all written there in God's diary. And if you notice those three verses that speak about the appointed time, they all occur within that section of Daniel 11, which deals with this contemptible person, as he's called in verse 21, Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And you remember that, that name Epiphanes is a title he gave to himself because he thought he was God or Godlike, the manifestation, the revealing of God. This is the figure, remember, who brought so much suffering against God's people, the people of the Holy Covenant, the man who committed so much blasphemy against God, as we'll see. And yet he too lives within his appointed time. And the significance of that is not just to show us that God is sovereign. It also tells us that wickedness has its limits. Wickedness has its limits. 
God says to Antiochus Epiphanes IV and those who are like him even today, he says, thus far and no further. Thus far and no further. Your time is up. And Jesus tells us, we read Matthew 24 a couple of weeks ago, so we didn't read it again today. But in that passage, which bears so many echoes of Daniel in Matthew 24, he tells us there will be wars and rumors of wars. But we are not to be alarmed. Why? Because the end is still to come. The appointed time. But the end will come. <laughs> These things are the beginning of birth pains. And what do birth pains, again with apologies to Swanee, what do birth pains tell you? Well, they tell you that something is happening. They don't tell you the exact minute or hour. But they tell you that something is happening and the end will come. The appointed time will come for Christ himself to return and put an end to all war and misery and suffering. So Herbert Fisher, who was unable to find any meaning in history, if you had read the book of Daniel, you would have discovered a God who is sovereign over all of history. But secondly, if he had read the book of Daniel, he would have also discovered that there is a spiritual conflict that lies behind all of history. I'll say that again. There is a spiritual conflict that lies behind all of history. There is an unseen, invisible battle being waged in the heavenly realms. This is the conflict of the principalities and the powers that Paul writes of in Ephesians chapter 6. He talks about the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And as we saw last week in Daniel 10, this is a conflict, a spiritual battle into which Daniel is drawn here on earth. And we are drawn as we live our lives in this fallen world. But it's also a conflict in which we play our part as we pray to God, as Daniel prayed. And that's what we saw in Daniel 10, which forms the backdrop to these last two chapters of Daniel 11 and 12. And there we see the curtain being drawn back, don't we? We get the, the curtain being drawn back to see what's going on behind the scenes. And we see, it's a bit like, you know, you see in the, if you're being on a ferry or a ship and you see the foam of the water and suddenly you're taken below the water and you see the propeller that's causing uh, the, 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 the steam and the foam and all on the surface. And it's like that when in Daniel we're getting a glimpse of what's going, underneath, going on underneath the, the surface. But we also see Daniel fasting and Daniel praying. Playing his part on earth in the heavenly spiritual battle through prayer. And it's no accident that we see the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll refer to it later. We'll come back to it in a minute or two. But if you know the passage, and in fact it's there in the order of service, Ephesians 6 from verse 10, I think, through to 18. How does Paul end this famous passage on spiritual warfare? He ends it by calling people to pray. He says, stand firm, put on the armor. And then he says, and pray, this is verse 18, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. What some have called the weapon of all prayer. We're not singing it today, stand up, stand up for Jesus. The lines of the, the, the hymn go, 
Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Well, we'll come back to this later, but for now, you see this, Daniel shows us there is a meaning in history because there is a God who is sovereign over all of history and there is a spiritual conflict that lies behind all of history. And that is as true today in the Ukraine and in the UK as it was in the days of Daniel. Yes, the spiritual conflict in the UK wears a different mask to what is going on in the Ukraine at the moment, but it's, it's no less real for all that. You know that COVID, the COVID virus, can have different symptoms in different people. But it's the same virus. And likewise, the spiritual conflict, the spiritual battle that lies behind all of history can, can show itself in different ways. In the evil of an aggressor, killing and bloodshed, but also, as we shall see, in tempting us out of fear to keep quiet, to fit in with the public mood to try and undermine the word of God as a book of truth and in other ways that we could list here in the UK. But the point is, yes, there's a spiritual battle that lies behind all of history, but our God is sovereign over it all. So there is a meaning in history. But then what will happen to the people of God in history and in the times that we live and indeed in the future? What will happen to the people of God? Well, Daniel 11 tells us three things. Firstly, God's people will come under attack by God's enemies. But secondly, God's people will stand firm and resist the attacks of God's enemies. And then thirdly, we may not have time to get to this, but very briefly, God's people will be sanctified through suffering. So the people who know their God... Chapter 11, verse 32, as they're described, the people who know their God will come under attack by God's enemies, but will stand firm and firmly resist those attacks and will also be sanctified through suffering. Firstly, then, will come under attack by God's enemies. Today, I suspect in parts of Ukraine, if you fly a Ukrainian flag, you will come under attack by the forces, the enemies against Ukraine, the forces of Putin. And we shouldn't be fooled. If you and I carry the flag of the cross of Christ, if we belong to God and know him as our God through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we too must expect to come under attack by the enemies of God. This figure of Antiochus Epiphanes IV he is a historical figure, historic from our perspective, but not from Daniel's, of course. This was future in terms of Daniel. And we have seen before that he is a kind of type of Antichrist. He is a foreshadowing of all the Antichrists in history, all those who mock God, attack his people, and set up an abomination that causes desolation, something that happened about 167 BC, but that Jesus took that phrase and referred it to something in the future. Something that will happen until the end of time, in the time of the end, when the Antichrist will be revealed. How is Antiochus IV a type of Antichrist? Well, look at verse 28. His heart is set against the Holy Covenant. Verse 30. When he is frustrated by the ships of the Roman navy, he takes his fury out against the Holy Covenant. He comes into Jerusalem and destroys the temple. 
He abolishes the daily sacrifices and the burnt offerings. He constructs an altar to Zeus and slaughters pigs on that altar and setting up the abomination that causes desolation. You see, here is the... Do you see what's happening here? Here is the spiritual reality of Satan's hatred and opposition to God being worked out in the physical world of time and space and history. Satan and his legions attack God by attacking his covenant people, today, the church of Jesus Christ. Here is the spiritual reality behind a 24-year-old man called Patrick, Patrick Hamilton being burned at the stake in St. Andrews on the 29th of February, 1528, at the age of 24. Here is the spiritual reality between the two Margarets being tied to the stake in the waters of the Solway Firth just off Wigdon and being drowned for their faith in Christ on the 11th of May, 1685. And here is the same spiritual reality that in our own time is trying to destroy the church of Jesus Christ through lies, through the flattery of public approval, and promises of a seat at the table for influence for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Verse 30. It happened in Germany in the days of of fashion when the German Christian movement gave their seal of approval. You see it today with the Russian Orthodox Church giving their approval to what Putin is doing. You see it today in the 21st century. You don't need to believe all that stuff about sin and hell and judgment. You're a reasonable person. You're a decent person. You don't need to believe all that the Bible says about Jesus being the only way to God the Father or what it says about sex and singleness and marriage. Don't make a fuss and we will leave you alone. That's what Antiochus was saying. More than that, we will shower you with compliments. We will invite you to big events with flattery. He will come and show favor to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. You see, spiritual attack comes in all shapes and forms. It will not always come in the forms of guns and bullets, but But in fact, if you think of ISIS, it sometimes does. But more often, it's the sweet whispered temptation to swallow the sugar-coated promise of a quiet life for those who give up living Christ's life. But the people who know their God, verse 32, are the people who know their God who know him personally and relationally in such a way as they know that he is their Lord and their King and their Savior. They know him as he has made himself known through Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. The covenant people of God who know their God will be strong, will firmly resist him, will stand firm and take action. So the promise of Scripture here is that when we come under attack by God's enemies, by the grace of God, we will be able to stand firm and resist those attacks. The people who know their God will firmly resist them. And first of all, notice that this is a promise. This is a promise. It's a tremendous assurance that it is possible to live the life of faith and faithfulness to God, whatever our circumstances. 
you know, sometimes we're tempted to think, aren't we, that if only my circumstances were different, I would be a better Christian. <laughs> if only my circumstances were different, I'd be a better witness. Nah, <laughs> not so sure about that. But here in the midst of all the violence and hatred and hostility, the people who know their God will firmly resist the enemies of God. But that promise leads us to ask the question, how can we resist him? How will we resist him? Well, Ephesians 6 gives us a New Testament light on Old Testament truth. Be strong. What does Paul say? Ephesians 6 verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, in the power of his might. Not be strong in yourself. Not be strong in the numbers you have around you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Then put on the armor God has given you. Stand firm and pray with this weapon of all prayer, like Daniel prayed, like Hezekiah prayed when Jerusalem was surrounded by the forces of Sennacherib. Uh, pray as Jesus prayed, as Stephen the first martyr prayed. Pray for strength in the Lord to stand firm and resist the flattery and the lies and the threats of the evil one, even to the point of death itself. Going back to the Solway Firth when those two Margarets were tied, young Margaret Wilson was 18 years old. The older Margaret, Margaret McLaughlin, she was tied further out. They weren't tied together. Did you know that? Margaret McLaughlin, the older woman, was tied further out to sea so that the younger woman would see her drown first and then be persuaded, so they thought, to change her mind. So when the older Margaret was drowning, the soldiers asked the younger Margaret, Margaret Wilson, what she thought of the older Margaret now. And this is what Margaret Wilson replied, I see Christ wrestling there. I see Christ wrestling there. Be strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in his mighty power. Brothers and sisters, we are called by Christ to be soldiers of the cross, not sleepers on a couch. Jesus tells us we cannot, we cannot become his disciples unless and until we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. And what is a cross but an instrument of death? We cannot follow Jesus unless and until we are prepared to die unless we follow him along the Calvary, the Calvary road. <clears throat> we have been enlisted, if we are Christians today, we have been enlisted, <coughs> excuse me, into the army of the one who conquered through suffering and sacrifice and service. And yes, it's true, we live out of Christ's victory. Of course we do, and we fight out of Christ's victory. But the way we fight and the way we live out his victory is, to, is the way of suffering and service and sacrifice. We don't wage war as the war of the worlds are waged. And I think we in the West, and I speak about myself as much as anybody else, we need to recalibrate the instrument we use to measure what true Christianity is, what normal Christianity is. You know what I mean by recalibrating the instrument? If you've got a scale, a pair of scales that are not weighing accurately, you need to get a true weight. 
to recalibrate the instrument. Uh, if you've got uh, another example would be a, a clock with a time signal. If the clock, you need to, you hear the pips or something, or I think there's an atomic clock if you really want your clock to be accurate. You need to recalibrate it with something that has the true time or the true weight. And likewise, we need to recalibrate our view of Christianity, what is true Christianity and normal Christianity, with the cross, with the cross of Christ. So that we, in the words of the hymn writer, we learn to scorn the praise of men and learn to lose with God. For Jesus won the world through shame and beckons thee his road. Amen. Father, we... How do we dare... How do we dare to know the mind of the Almighty? Except that you and your grace and mercy have come and made yourself known through the words of Scripture and through Christ, the Word made flesh. But still, Father, your ways are far, far above our ways. We thank you that there is a meaning in history, that you are sovereign over all of history until the time of the end and its appointed time. And we thank you, Father, that there is also a, a spiritual, the insight that we get to the spiritual conflict that lies behind all of history. And help us, Father, as those who have trusted in Christ, if we have trusted in Christ this morning, to remember that we are soldiers of the cross, that we will come under attack if we carry the flag of Jesus Christ. But, Father, your word has promised that we will stand firm and firmly resist. So we thank you for that. Help us to use what you have given to us, the strength of the Lord yourself, Father. Be strong in you and in your mighty power to use the armors that you have given to us, to use the weapon of prayer. And to know, Father, that at the end of the day, there will be only one winner of the game of thrones, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you.